We're in a continuing study, of course, through First and Second Corinthians. If you've been with us, you know that. And so uh, I'd like you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Second Corinthians chapter 9. Will you do that? And that will be where we're going to pick up today. It is my desire to uh, finish this two-chapter study on uh, the pathway to blessing the New Testament standard for giving, which is what these two chapters deal with very extensively and use examples and instruction to help us understand what to do. And then the blessing of following there is held up before us too. There's a story of the life of evangelist Charles Fuller, founder of Fuller Seminary, is one of God's provision. He was born in Los Angeles to a prosperous Southern California grower in 1887. And although he was raised by a devout Methodist, he displayed little interest in religious matters as a youth. Fuller graduated from Pomona College in 1910 as a chemist. He worked in his father's citrus packing business in Southern California until 1918. He married his high school sweetheart, Grace Payton, in 1910, came to faith under the preaching of Paul Rader, the pastor of Chicago's Moody Bible Church, in 1916. After his conversion in 1916, he began to teach the adult Sunday school class at a little Presbyterian church in Los Angeles, and later entered the Bible Institute of L.A., which is now Biola. He was discipled by R.A. Torrey, which was Biola's dean at the time. Fuller began to do ministry work in the Los Angeles area for several years, eventually pastored a group that named itself Calvary Church. He began to hold revival meetings up and down the west coast of the United States and soon began using radio as a method to get his message out. Uh, By 1930, he was regularly broadcasting Calvary Sunday school services as well as Bible study programs to the local area. Eventually, Uh, The time spent on the radio broadcast began to conflict with the time he spent pastoring the church, and so he resigned his pastorship in 1933, and he formed a nonprofit gospel broadcasting association to support the radio evangelistic efforts. He gained renown as a radio host and a speaker in a show he called The Old Fashioned Revival Hour. It was a weekly Sunday broadcast aired from 1937 to 1968. The first nationwide broadcast occurred on October 3rd, 1937. God's provision that was so apparent in Fuller's ministry is recounted by his grandson, Daniel Fuller, in the book, Give the Winds a Mighty Voice, the story of Charles E. Fuller. Good book, I would encourage you to read it. Daniel recounts, quote, my grandfather had trouble finding radio stations that would carry his preaching during that time because many had policies against religious broadcasting even way back then. But God opened the door Daniel says, for him to take the Sunday evening slot on station KNX, the voice of Hollywood. Uh, This was exciting because KNX planned to increase its broadcasting to cover the entire West Coast, including Alaska and Hawaii. But this Sunday time slot was expensive. Uh, Some of my grandfather's friends urged him not to move ahead, uh, but he believed this was God's calling, and so he made the commitment. But one Thursday, Daniel says, that uh, it looked like he'd made a mistake. The next day, he owed KNX Radio $500, or he would need to cancel his Sunday's broadcast, but he only had $350. So he sat there eyeing the phone, wondering if he should make the call to cancel. Finally, with great regret, he decided to make the call, but just as he reached for the phone, it rang. A dentist friend who had come to faith through his grandfather's broadcast was calling, and his first words were, Charlie, do you need money? My grandfather was shocked and answered, yes, I do. A dentist responded, well, then come over and see me. So my grandfather drove to the dentist's home, and when he got there, the dentist asked him how much money he needed, and my grandfather answered, $150. The dentist turned to his wife with a stunned look on his face, and then he pulled from his pocket a check he'd already made out to my grandfather for exactly $150. And the dentist explained what had happened, he said. His wife had awakened him in the middle of the previous night and said, we must give Charles Fuller $150 tomorrow. The dentist explained to his wife that that was great, but they only had $25 in the bank, but she insisted, I don't care, we've got to do it. He didn't know what to say to his wife in the middle of the night, so he suggested that they talk about it the next day, and they went back to sleep. The next morning, he went into his dentist's office as usual, but while he was there, a patient unexpectedly arrived and said he had come to pay his overdue dental bill, which was for more than $800. When the bill was paid, the dentist immediately wrote a check for $150 to my grandfather, and he drove home to tell his wife what had happened. And he called my grandfather to have him come over, 
without knowing anything about how close my grandfather had been to canceling his time slot on KNX radio the next day. They were all stunned, of course, by, and, and strengthened by God's merciful, detailed faithfulness. But through the years, this is how God supported his ministry, Daniel said, which even back then ran upwards to a million dollars a year to produce. That's an amazing story, isn't it? And it comes very close to home when you realize that Jerry Falwell Sr. said that he traced his conversion experience back to hearing Fuller's radio show. And it's no accident that Falwell labeled his own radio show the Old Time Gospel Hour. That story, of course, is marvelous in and of itself, and it seems too orchestrated to be true, doesn't it? Unless, of course, you've read the book of Esther. And then you know that the Lord is in the details, don't you? And he orchestrates all of them. And in this meeting of financial needs, we know from 2 Corinthians 9, 10, if you looked at this verse last time, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply the harvest of your righteousness. So the same God who makes the rain to, and snow to fall from heaven and carries it all around according to his own design and wisdom in Isaiah 55.10. The same God who it says in Psalm 104.14, he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth. It's the same God who it says later in Psalm 104, O Lord, how many are your works in wisdom you've made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. The same God that we read about in Psalm 145, who says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them food in due time, and you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. This same God is especially kind to his own children, and that should not surprise us. And he's kind with a special kind of love and gracious generosity to those who give in this way. They give away what they have, so that the Holy Spirit is carried along Paul to say, as we saw last time, he will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, here's the question. Do you think Fuller had to have somebody explain that verse to them, to that ministry? Of course not. Fuller lived that every single day, didn't he? He, he produced one of the first uh, nationwide broadcasts for, for the gospel and really led the way for many who followed him to do that. But he lived that every day because that was about a million dollars to produce even back in the 1930s. And then principle number 10 on that pathway of blessing, we saw this. We should expect from the same Heavenly Father that is the source of everything and takes care of everything to take care of givers who take care of others. And when he finds that channel that he can use to take care of others, he's going to enrich that channel so he can continue to meet needs. Do you think the dentist had, after that little uh, interaction with his wife and then going into his office and his needs being met and uh, the needs of the fuller ministry being met, do you think he had to have that explained to him? No, he... He understood that pretty well, and the Lord made that uh, a great example in his own life. And then in 2 Corinthians 9-11, we saw the Holy Spirit continues to confirm this very thing. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. So verse 8 says that God will give you an abundance for every good work as you give faithfully to it. Verse 10 says God will multiply the seed that can be sown again. And then verse 11 says you'll be enriched again for all generosity. So if we give in this way, as we looked through these instructions in a predetermined, single-minded, sacrificial, generous, cheerful heart, not prompted by any compulsion and without complaining. 2 Corinthians 9-11 says you'll be enriched in everything for all liberality. In other words, needs are being met. And giving is done. Needs are being met. Giving is done. The Lord continues to resupply that path. And ultimately, what does that lead to? Which through us is producing, this is really great, thanksgiving to God. This is where we ended last time. And that principle 11 on that pathway to blessing is a wonderful, probably the most wonderful blessing of the whole thing, even though we know God takes care of a giver and resupplies what he needs and all of those things. But here, there's just this marvelous thing of God being glorified because of what you do. When the offering is delivered to those who need it, when it begins to do the ministry it was intended to do, uh, when people, uh, the people it's focused on begin to receive the benefit, then they're going to thank God, and, and they're going to give glory to God. And, and we know that the primary issue in all of our work and all of our ministry and all of our life is for God to be glorified. And I think we would agree with that as a believer. We want God to be glorified. And here, just like the dentist giving sacrificially, the more people who are touched by our giving, the more glory is going to God. And who knows who was touched by those ministry broadcasts that resulted in a sacrificial gift from a dentist who'd come to faith as a result of the broadcast. 
And, and here in this context, uh, giving in this way, it, it really is the most basic and important kind of service which God accepts as worship and will fully supply the needs of the ministry to the Jerusalem church. So that's what's going on here. Paul encourages the Corinthian church to follow the example of the Macedonian churches and do those things that they said they would do. And just so much comes as a result, and the ripple that goes out from that pebble dropped in that pond just continues to go out from that direction. And then in 2 Corinthians 9, 12, it really confirms that idea for the ministry of this service is, so it's a basic kind of deaconia, that's, that's where we get the word deacon. Um, the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, so in other words, it's taking care, when we give this way, it takes care of all that and doesn't leave any lack, but it's also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So the giving wouldn't leave any shortfalls, and, and this is an example and a model for the church as we have looked through chapter 8 and 9. We understand that's the reason why it's pictured here in a snapshot for us to see. We know God wants the job done to the fullest, and that requires the whole church to get on board. Small income, a small amount, large income, large amount, it's all proportional. God it doesn't, uh, he doesn't require you to give a large amount if he's only given you a small amount. This isn't, and this isn't giving to impoverish one and to enrich another. Remember, we saw that. In fact, Paul pulls that in from the Hebrew children's wandering in the wilderness. Some people would, get a, would take in a lot. Some people would take in a little, but everybody had the right amount because he who, didn't have, he who had a lot didn't have too much, and he who had a little didn't have any lack. Why? Because God resupplies both and takes care of both. And then in verse 13, look there in your copy of God's Word. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. And, this, and we just kind of barely touched this last time, but we're going to get into it. Mark this. Verse 13 says, because of the proof given by this ministry. And that's the noun dokime. And that noun is used numerous times in the scripture. But it's an important one because it, um, it refers to something that's been tested and found authentic. It's the word that's used to weigh out ancient money and have it be the right amount because it came in all shapes and sizes, so they want to make sure if it was gold, it was the right amount of gold, and all of that. And it also is referred, it, in the scriptures, it's referred to tried character. Difficult times produces, produces, gives proof of tried character. And it's an interesting statement. He says, because of the proof given by this ministry, mark it, for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. Where's the proof? Well, it's principle number 12 here, and you can copy this in your notes if you're a note taker on the back. On the pathway of blessing, here's this blessing, here it is. When you follow through with this kind of giving, it proves, mark it, by your obedience that you're born again. Now, that shouldn't surprise us, should it? I, I think it's true, and you would agree that every, every true believer wants the world to know that they know Jesus. Everyone who's come to faith would like people to know that they know Christ as their Savior. Uh, to a greater or lesser extent, perhaps to more or less confidence in that whole thing, but they'd like everybody to know that they know Jesus as their Savior. And we've spent a lot of time here at Berean and resources making sure our folks uh, from our student ministry right up through our adults uh, know how to articulate their faith effectively. We've been through numbers of trainings and we continue to do it. And so you're able to articulate that clearly and how to answer questions. And so it's important that we do that and we do. And when we baptize folks here, uh, we, we help them write out their testimony, which is so vital in the process of giving the gospel. And all those things are very important. But with all of that in place, beloved, the sharing of the gospel is powerless without an obedient faith. And Paul is confirming in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, that belief in the gospel always indicates something. And here's what he says, mark it. He says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. In other words, you came to faith and the Lord's able to establish you in that faith. According to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifest. So the gospel was a mystery in the, in the Old Testament. Now it's very clear how salvation is going to come. It was pointed to by the sacrificial system. It was pointed to by the, by the lamb in the Passover. But now it's clear. And by the scriptures of the prophets, here it is, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations. What does it lead to? What's the last part? Leading to obedience of faith. Isn't that cool? It, faith is important, and we understand that that's how we come. Faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word of God. But how is it described when it's true, when it really happens, it's obedience of faith. So, of course, what you say in relation to giving out the gospel is very important. 
and we've spent a lot of time there. And we should be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in us. That's important. But if we don't live an obedient life, it undermines what we might say. And here in this instance, obedience in managing their money is the way they proved they were born again. Just like obedience in every other part of life shows people that you're born again, obedience in the management of what you have shows that, lets people know that you're born again. 1 John 2, 3. Again, the Bible explains the Bible so clearly for us. By this we know we've come to know him if we teach Sunday school and we make sure that we show up for all the socials. No. If we keep his, what? Commandments. So the one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a, yikes, liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we're in him. The one who says he abides by him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he, referring to Jesus, walked. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But could I, could I say something? I think that as I, as I view our modern society, particularly our church, I think this is the biggest disconnect in the modern church that there ever has been. People will say often that they, that they believe in Jesus as their Savior. They'll say that, and they'll be in the church for years. And yet, on a daily basis, do not see the very basics that the Scripture describes for us as what an obedient life looks like. It's a huge disconnect for us. And I'm going to talk about it more in just a minute. And I, th I think one of the reasons is really a narcissistic kind of faith, which goes perfectly with everything else that we do that's really circled around ourselves. But this is an issue right here. John 2, or 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Anytime we understand what the Word of God says, John 8, 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, and so there are some walking around and they had claimed that they had believed in Christ for, for salvation. He says this, if you continue in my word, then what? So it's a subjective. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So there's some question about what actually occurred, right? Because you're only truly my disciples if you do what? Continue in my word. What's that mean? That means to read it. What does it say? What does it mean by what it says? How does that apply to me? Just very simple, very basic, right? If, if he's Lord, then what he says is true and then what if what he says is true then we have to do it see and you'll know the truth then and the truth will make you free and paul's saying in, in our passage very clearly the confession of your faith is proven in your obedience to these instructions on the way you handle what the lord's loaned to you that's that's how it is in context here he says listen when you follow through and do what you said you were going to do and you give sacrificially and single-mindedly and you give regularly and faithfully and you do that on a regular basis that becomes the pattern of your life you just prove by those actions that you truly belong to me and, and here's a great opportunity to make it obvious, see, in the way we manage what we have, and people will glorify God when they see, or because of, rather, they see that obedience. And that's what we want all the time, isn't it? We, we want the people to see our obedience, not because we're doing what we're doing so people can see us. We just want the pattern of our life to be an obedient faith, doing what the Lord says to do, and then people see that, and that by itself is a good testimony, and goes well with what we say about ourselves, see? Otherwise, we can say whatever we want. If we won't follow in obedient faith and do what he says, then it just undermines everything that we say. So 2 Corinthians 9.13, because of the proof, he says, given in this ministry, by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. Verse 12 says, they have fully supplied the needs of the saints, and that overflows in many thanksgivings to God. And God is glorified by the receipt of the gift and the meeting of the need. And God is thanked. And God is also glorified, verse 13, when someone's salvation is so evident in the way that they manage perhaps what they love the most. Unbelievers who see the giving say, so, wow, that, that's what a Christian does. And can I tell you, having pastored for so long, many understand that very well. Which is why they come to the church and they ask for a handout. I'll often ask them, so we'd like to help meet your need. I just wondered why you came here for a handout. And they will say, well, I think, I think Christians are very generous. And I say, yes, you're right. What we have to give you is not because we sell anything here. 
what we have to give you is because people did not use up everything that came into their house and they set some aside to make sure other people's needs could be met. Yes, they are generous. That is a trademark of true believers to live in that, that way. And people understand that. And believers who see the giving, so unbelievers understand that. Believers who see the giving say, wow, they, they are really saved. And believers who do the giving show their sincere thanks to God for supplying what they had to begin with and resupplying by their obedience, which would be your experience if you give in this way. And, and considering all the, all the trouble inside the Corinthian church, there were probably some believers in the Jerusalem church that perhaps doubted the, the validity of the salvation of some of the Corinthian church. That shouldn't surprise us. The Jerusalem church is looking at this Gentile church and they see all the gossiping and they see the immorality that's going on. And see, we looked at all that in 1 Corinthians. And all the factions and taking one another to court and the Lord's table fiasco and all the unforgiveness that went on there and the misuse of tongues and, and people standing up in the middle of service and speaking out of, out of turn, all that we covered in 1 Corinthians. Disregarding Paul's teaching and criticizing Paul and his ministry and his authority and his speech and, and even his demeanor. So there were certainly some, I think, who were in Jerusalem who would have many reasons to question whether or not salvation had come to these Gentiles because, mark this, and, and this is where I think the real disconnect still exists, but it certainly was here, but it exists here, mark this, in an age where, here it is, personal salvation and personal spirituality and this is my favorite, I have a private relationship with God. Your, uh, mark this, scripture does not indicate that your spirituality exists in a vacuum of narcissism. Because that's what it is. When people say that, I have a personal relationship with God, and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks of me, that violates a number, about a dozen scriptures that I can think of. It does matter what people think. And your, scripture do, and your spirituality does not exist in a vacuum of narcissism. It's not private. Now, the Lord loves you individually. That's certainly true. And I believe if you were the only sinner on the face of the earth, he would have come and given his, his son would have been given in your place. But that does not in any way make your, your, your faith private. In fact, it's put on display for all to see. And obedience is super important. Your faith doesn't exist in a vacuum at all. And that's the real issue, I think, that plagues the modern church. It's a disconnect between what they think about their relationship to God and what they actually do. Because it's connected and what people see is super important. Your faith doesn't exist in a vacuum. Actions matter. And when people see actions or words that don't line up with biblical Christianity, they have an obligation to say something because that's the whole point of Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. They have an obligation to see someone stumbling and in, 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 in humility come and say, what you're doing isn't correct. And, and that isn't judging in the forbidden sense of motives. That's just discerning actions. And Scripture is very clear that that's what we're supposed to do. What do the actions indicate? Your faith is not private. What you say has to line up with what you do. And if it doesn't line up with what you do, what you say is meaningless, and you can say all I want, well, my, my spirituality is private. I'm sorry, you got that wrong. You discern actions, you can see that actions don't line up, and, and the Jewish believers had many reasons as they watched the actions of the Corinthians to doubt whether or not a lot of them were even born again. And so Paul just says, listen, follow through with this faithful, obedient, sacrificial, single-minded type of giving, and that will go a long ways towards people thinking, okay, they are managing their money in a biblical manner. Their resources that belong to the Lord, and he's loaned all of them to them. They are giving some of those away in the way that they should. And that just lines up with actions following an obedient faith. See, And doing what the Lord says. You can say you love the Lord all you want, but if you don't do what he says, you lie. That's what we just saw. So when they and we then, to put it back in this context, give generously, sacrificially, joyfully, lovingly, out of a heart, that desires to do that single-mindedly, that's evidence of salvation. That's the whole point. And when it's poured out from you, then it's returned to you more generously than you gave it, and, and that's evidence of salvation. And when you give it away, again, and that becomes a habit, it just lifts up a voice of praise to God, 
And when we give and the church flourishes and the gospel goes out and missionaries go out from the church and believers are trained and they're blessed and the needs are met and the kingdom advances and the church grows, beloved, praise and glory and thanksgiving rise towards the Lord. So 2 Corinthians 9.13 is very important and one of, I think, a key uh, passages for us to understand in this blessing. This is a blessing. The blessing of your faith appears to be authentic to people who watch, and that matters. It matters what they think, and it matters if your faith is authentic, and you show that it is by what you do. So because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. So in other words, Paul continues to come back and just say, when you do it this way, the gift is going to meet the needs of the ministry to the Jerusalem church. And the gift would overflow and meet the needs of others as well. And it would allow the Jerusalem church to continue in their ministry. And more would come into the kingdom and be blessed than were even being blessed at that point. And that leads us to verse 14 in our next principle in this pathway of blessing. Look there, if you would, in your copy of God's word. Verse 14. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Now look at verse, this is a very cool uh, verse, and the, the, the blessing is this. When you give in this way, God provides faithful friends to love you and pray for you. All of those who receive the benefit of generous giving, all who find out about it, all who are reached for the kingdom because of your sacrifice, and, and mark this, some of them you will never know until eternity, but some of them will pray for you and desire fellowship with you. Faithfulness in this area will make godly friends for you. And in, and in case you think this is an isolated verse, that principle really is the essence of a very notable story, and I'd like you to hold your finger here and go to Luke 16, verse 1. It's, a, it's an important illustration, and Jesus himself is teaching it, and I think we can come away understanding this, Paul's point here about when you give in this way, God provides faithful friends to love you and pray for you. This is precisely the issue here in this very unlikely story. It's a, it's a parable, which is a earthly situation that's going to make a heavenly point. Look at verse 1. Just hold, hold your finger in, in 2 Corinthians 9 and go to verse, verse 1 of Luke 16. Now... He says, he was also saying to the disciples, so Jesus is speaking, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions, verse 2, and he called him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Now, let's pause right there. What's going on here? Well, uh, the owner of the household wants an accounting for the person who's managing his household. He is a wealthy man. He's got someone in who's taking care of his affairs, making sure he has food on his table, making sure all the things that are supposed to be done are being done with his fields and his servants and all the kinds of things that go on for those who are wealthy. They have people who are serving them and doing things for them. And the owner of the household wants an accounting of all that because things are not going as they should. He's not managing uh, the household like the owner thinks it should be managed. But the real problem is is the owner has already indicated an imminent firing, hasn't he? So in his language, he says, come, give an accounting, for you can't be my manager anymore because you're squandering everything. So tell me what's going on. So, of course, Jesus is telling the story, and it's important for us to understand he's telling it precisely like it should be told. But he's already indicated there's going to be an imminent firing. So that gives uh, this manager some time, doesn't it, to arrange some things. And it gives him ample warning, and I think it's likely that the owner here just thinks that it's incompetence, so he just isn't able to do it. That's why Jesus uses the word squandering. It's dies corpizo. It's, it's a verb that has to do with, with winnowing the wheat, and when you winnowed it where it was too windy or you threw it up too high, you're losing a lot of wheat with the chaff, and so it's called squandering. You're not doing a good job of what you're doing. So that's an important word. So I think that the, the owner of the estate just thinks that the guy's just not good at it, and I'm going to get rid of it. So, but we're going to see it's not incompetence. Look at verse 3. The manager said to himself, so the meeting's over, he's panicked, he goes back perhaps to his office or to doing what he was doing, 
and he's talking to himself, and he says, look at verse 3, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Well, at least he's honest. He, you know, he can't, he can't do physical labor, and he doesn't want to beg. He's got too much pride. Verse 4, I know what I shall do so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he's got this idea. Now look at verse 5. Here it is. He summoned each one of his master's debtors. So these are people who borrowed uh, maybe weed or oil or, or, uh, or money or whatever from his master. And he's supposed to be managing all these things. And he summons each of, two of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, verse 6, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Verse 7, then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of weed. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. What's he doing? Well, he's using his master's money in order to secure a place to live in someone else's home when he no longer has a place to live in his original job. That's the point of the story. Now look at verse 8. And his master praised the unrighteous manager. And he describes him differently here now. He uses the word unrighteous. The master knows it wasn't an aptitude, it's sin. He's just surprised by the shrewdness of the manager. So he says, he praises him because he had acted shrewdly. Now mark this, and here's Jesus' point. For the sons of this age, who's that? That's the age of men working with what man uses. The sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. So is Jesus praising either the, the master or the servant? No. Is he just relating a story that has probably occurred? Yes. A less than spectacular master and certainly a very shrewd and sinful manager. And the master's like, wow, that was, that was pretty sly. You know, you got me there. But he knew what he was doing. And Jesus just says, listen, the people who work in this age, who have no knowledge of, of what's to come, people who don't have a, a kingdom that doesn't fade away, people who aren't part of those who are part of God's family, they're more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Now, here's the point, verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. What's that? It's in your pocket right now. The wealth of unrighteousness doesn't mean in and itself is unrighteous. It just means it's the process. That's, that's how the world does its process. Money or gold or whatever it is, whatever currency it is. So make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. That's what we use, right? If you're, if you're wealthy in this present age, that's what First uh, Timothy 6 says. The temporary time and the temporary wealth. And then it says this, look, so that when it fails, because it will, it's not going to last forever. It's only for this time period. They will receive you into the eternal dwellings. What's that mean? Just use what the world has right now and be smart enough to use it in such a way that when you are welcomed into heaven, people will be there as a result of how you used what the Lord had loaned you. And isn't that precisely what Paul is saying here? When you give faithfully, when you give generously, when you give single-mindedly and you do it over the long haul, you, you are going to be provided friends from the Lord who are going to love you and pray for you. And here, when Jesus is making this heavenly point from an earthly story, here it is. Use your wealth for godly purposes. It's temporary. But use it for godly purposes, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you, right? We've seen all these passages. But use your wealth for godly purposes, and you're going to have godly friends who love you and long for you and pray for you right now, which that would happen in this story too, right? He called in all the master's debtors and said, hey, mark it down to 50, mark it down to 80. They're pretty happy with the guy, aren't they? They're like, hey, good job. Thanks a lot. You know, making a big difference in my life. And you can just imagine some of the conversations on the side. Hey, I know your master's booting you out, but you always got a home with me, buddy. So use your wealth for godly purposes, and you'll have godly friends who love you and long for you and pray for you now. But Jesus says this, and this is so cool, it adds to it. According to our parable, someday you're going to have godly friends who are going to welcome you into eternity because you used the money God loaned you to benefit them.
I love that story. That is so unlike anything you would expect to read, isn't it? The sons of this age are smarter in the way things work than you guys are, and it's kind of an, an indictment, isn't it? You should be smart enough to know that if you use what I give you in the way that I, I have planned for you to use it, that that's going to benefit you, and we've seen all those benefits already. But who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want godly friends to pray for you now? People in, and, and this, we have these stories coming in all the time from people that we know who, who minister overseas, and they go, and they finally get on the field, and they begin to give the gospel out, and people come to faith, and then they say things very similar all around the world, just like this. You can read these in missionary books. Wow, you guys, you guys left America, and you came here? How'd you even get here? And, I mean, who paid for all this? You, you traveled here, and you did this? You give... Oh, our church sent us. They're supplying our needs so we can give you the gospel. Who gets thanks when they've come to faith? The Lord does. And those are people you don't know. You get that fruit, though. And, and someday in, in eternity, you'll, you'll come walking in there, and you were faithful to give, and that person's going to say, you know, Jesus will probably make the introduction. You guys are connected. You can figure it out as you talk to each other. Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that a cool thing? I, I love that. A, a lifetime of giving in this way, beloved, builds up that circle of friends. And, and you probably don't know or remember all those who've been benefited over the years. And some are praying for you right now. You don't even know it. Asking the Lord to bless you and guide you and, and give you understanding. And, and some are waiting to welcome you into heaven. If you've been doing it long enough, there's some who are already in heaven. And, and they have been benefited by your faithful giving over time. And they're waiting to welcome you there, just like Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 16. And Jesus is the one who told the story and made the point. So as if we did, wouldn't already believe it, this is Jesus talking about it. Use the money you've been entrusted with in a way that does this very thing as a direct command from our Savior. This is how you're supposed to do it. Now look at the last verse, chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And when you first see that, you kind of, at least I did, why, why does the Holy Spirit lead Paul along to end these two chapters that model New Testament giving in this way? Well, if I'm, if I'm unclear about perhaps what a passage is trying to convey, just start out with what its clear meaning is. It's not hard to figure out what the gift was, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his son, and the eternal life and everything else that came with that gift, and that gift is beyond description, and it's beyond words, it's inexpressible, it's indescribable, human words can't capture it, that's Paul's point. So that's the clear meaning of the passage. Christ gave, sacrificially, his own life, and that sowing brought forth a bountiful harvest of many. And we looked at that passage a couple weeks ago. And we're part of the return of Christ's sowing, are we not? Christ gave his life, took it up again. We're part of the benefit of that generous gift. So, again, if we understand that, then it helps us to, help us to I think, make it clear why Paul is ending these two chapters that model New Testament giving in this way. Jesus leads the way for us to be sacrificial, to give, and to sow. He's He's the model. That's why he says all of the things that have to do with giving of financial things. And then he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about taking up gifts, aren't we? In particular here, talking about the, the Macedonian churches and the Corinthian church. Taking up a gift to help those in Jerusalem. So Jesus leads the way for us to be sacrificial and give. And so, and here it is. Our last principle, principle 14. You've already seen it. When you give in this way... We've talked about it before because we, we've seen this indicated in a number of verses, but here it's just clearly stated. When you give in this way, God's likeness is developed in you through your sacrificial investment in the kingdom. You begin to look like the Lord. And we talked about this before. The Lord is gracious and kind, isn't he? And he gives all day, every day, and he makes sure that your needs are met. And if you recounted your blessings, which is this week is a great time to do that, they would be higher than your head, would they not? 
And so we understand that God's faithfulness is, it's not able to be grasped in relation to us. And his giving continues. And you look around your life right now and just recount the things that the Lord has given you. It's amazing. And you don't have to feel badly about it. You wouldn't have it if the Lord didn't give it to you. It's part of his generous nature to do it. And he even is generous to people who don't love him. He pours grace out on people who don't recognize him, who neither thank him nor glorify him. And he does it over and over and over again. They have the blessings of family, perhaps of, of a wife, of, of children. They may have a blessing of a home and, and a profitable business. If he's the one that teaches to profit and the earth is full of all of his possessions, then no one has anything unless the Lord has given it to them. So he's even generous to people who hate him. So we have a great example here, don't we? And when you give generously to meet needs and make sure things are, are fully taken care of, you begin to resemble the Lord. And so he ends this passage this way because you imitate God when you give in this way. And it's the foundation of all free will giving. You're just generous and you're going you're to imitate the Lord in your generosity. Being imitators of God is all throughout the New Testament, so it's not surprising that it's here. In Ephesians 5.1, what's it say? Therefore, be imitators of God. It's just really straightforward, isn't it? Just do precisely what the Lord wants you to do. do be like he is. As beloved children, if you are his child, just be imitators of him. You know, when your children are little, they want to do what you do. It's one of the cool things when kids are little. They want to be like, you know, when they get older, they, they want to be away from you. But, you know, when they first start, you know, they want to, they want to be like you. And that's a, that's a marvelous thing. And here, you're one of God's children. And, and so it says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Here it is, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering, and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You take on Christ's likeness when you walk in love, beloved. Did you know that? You look like Jesus when you walk in that kind of sacrificial love. And then mark this one. You take on Christ's likeness when you give generously, past what's expected, sacrificially and joyfully, because that's what Jesus did. Past what was expected. How about Hebrews 12 too? Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Well, verse 1 and verse 3 say, so we can run our race and we can do it and not grow weary. And we will run it correctly if we fix our eyes on the standard. He's the standard. And that brings us to the end of two very practical chapters, preceded by a biblical view of material things, so we had a foundation to stand on. So here's the question, as we come to the end of these two chapters, did they do it? Did the Corinthians respond correctly? Well, we had that answer. That what makes the Bible, that's what makes the Bible come alive. Sometimes, sometime after the close of the letter of 2 Corinthians, Paul visited the Corinthian church, which we saw that in Acts chapter 20. We looked at it two weeks ago. And he spent about three months there, verse 3 tells us. And while he was there, he wrote the letter to the church in Rome. And that's why we can know what happened in Corinth, because the letter to the Romans records it for us. Romans chapter 15, verse 25. Paul says to the Romans, but now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. We already know what he's going to do, right? Because it already described what he was doing as serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, that's the region where Corinth is located, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So we know exactly what he's talking about. And he took up the offering, and now he's on his way with it. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. In other words, Gentiles are indebted to the Jews. Why? For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are also indebted to minister to them also in material things. So there's, a, there's an obligation there in some respects to make sure they're taken care of. A marvelous thing to think about that they're, they're, they're helping to support the very church that sent everybody out, and that's the reason why they came to faith. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. In other words, when I've delivered this offering and that seal is, it's completed, I gave it to them, and it's doing what it's supposed to do. I'm going to go on by way of you to Spain. So he's going to finish everything up, 
Acts 24 says he made it to Jerusalem and delivered the money. And uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians two chapters in this letter. And, and they would, and they impacted the church in the way Paul hoped they would. And the people responded like they should have responded. And I would like to tell you, that's my prayer for Berea. We didn't go through all these passages so that you could feel uncomfortable and I could feel uncomfortable and maybe, t you know, take a look at things we didn't really want to take a look at and, and then just kind of move on and say, okay, well, that was nice. We got through two chapters and it took them forever to do it and now we can move on to, you know, uh, chapter 10. When we read the passages and we see what it says, what's it mean by what it says, then what's the next part? How does that apply to me? So... My prayer for Brian has been all along as I get ready to prepare messages. Lord, this is your church. You know what they need to hear. I don't pretend to know that. I just want to read through your word, and I don't want to do anything that's going to cause it to be unclear to your flock and help them be transformed by the teaching of the word. That's why we teach the word verse by verse, so we can be transformed. See, That's my prayer for Brian. That these two chapters at the end of a series on biblical view of money have a similar effect. The way you handle your finances will never be the same, and that the way you give will never be the same. And when you think about giving, it's going to be with the joy, because you know what the example was, and you saw all the instructions, so you know how it's supposed to be done, and then you see all the blessings that come as a result of faithfulness in this area, and so you're excited to do it. Now, when we first started, there were five things I wanted you to look at, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over them again. These are things that you, as you think about all this, you want to start making some changes. It's just a suggestion, but this is where you can go about it. Agree with the Lord, these five things. Number one, he is the sole owner of my wealth, so entire control belongs to him. He's the sole owner. It's not hard stretch, is it? We already know that it all belongs to him. So you're just agreeing with the Lord that he owns everything that you have. And so here's a prayer that you can pray. Lord, I give you all of it. It's yours anyway. Number two, agree with the Lord. The purpose of my life is to advance the kingdom to bring him glory. Is that the purpose of your life? That is the purpose of your life, to bring him glory to, by advancing the kingdom. That's your purpose. You were made for these things, predestined for good works, to walk in them. And money falls into that, doesn't it? So here's the prayer. Lord, my life is yours, and I want it to matter for things that last. Third, agree with the Lord that I need to live in such a way so that I can respond to God's direction. Here's your prayer. Lord, reveal to me how I can better manage my money so I'm not living at the limits of my income and help me evaluate debt wisely because you know my resources and you know my choices. That's just being transparent and honest with the Lord, isn't it? And isn't that where we start when we really want to make inroads into carnality and, and fleshliness and hidden sins that we don't even realize are there. Particularly how it, when it comes to managing the resources the Lord's given us, you know my choices and you know my resources. So help me to evaluate what I'm doing so I'm not living at the limits of my income. Help me to evaluate debt wisely. Fourth, agree with the Lord and believe that all my giving is investing in eternity. All of it. All of my giving is invested in eternity. Here's a prayer. Lord, I know I can take it with me when I lay it up with you before I get there. That's clear, isn't it? You know that it goes ahead of you, both in the form of, we just saw, godly people who will welcome you into the eternal home and godly people who are here now praying for you but jesus was very clear lay up for yourselves money belts that don't wear out how about timothy 6 or timothy 6 
to be rich in good works and ready to share so they may discover what life really is indeed. It's, it's a marvelous thing, and it's all true. Just pray and ask the Lord to help you. Lastly, I agree with the Lord that what I give in the way he's directed, so without compulsion, without, without grudging, single-minded, when I give in that way, it will be returned to me in a greater and more bountiful measure. The Lord will continue to resupply when he finds that channel where he knows a blessing is occurring regularly through what he's loaned to us. He continues to resupply that. And we looked at that just a few, a few uh, weeks ago. Do you believe that? That the Lord is able to resupply and that he's inclined to do it? Because both of those are, are that's faith in action, isn't it? So here's, here's your prayer. Lord, please help me to grow in my faith and believe you in this area in ever-increasing measure because you're inclined to do it and you're able to do it. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. Father, we thank you today for an opportunity to get through these two chapters. What a joy it is to have this under our belt, as it were. But not so that we can say that we finished two more chapters in, in the book of Second Corinthians. But so that we can say, wow, you've got so much more planned for me, perhaps, than how I've lived up until this point. Or maybe, sadly, I've really consumed most of the stuff that's come in on myself. Even with small incomes, I have been very unfaithful. And we don't know where the next... The next check's going to come from, and we live paycheck to paycheck, and we barely make it. But I didn't have to live that way, and I didn't have to worry, because the Lord already had a plan for my security, and it has to do with giving away part of what he's loaned us. Or any number of hundreds of others' responses as we've worked our way through. And Father, I pray that you'll just seal those in our heart, that they may make uh, a difference in how we act, and become part of the fabric of how we interact with what you've loaned to us. Help us to act in faith. Test the Lord and see. Do not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't hold. But you have to start with faith, believing that he's able and that he's inclined to. Without faith, it's impossible to please you, Father, and we know that, and yet we operate many times in this particular area without it. Thinking that we could look and see what your son had to say. He had more to say about money and about wealth and finances than he had to say about heaven and hell combined. He understood the roadblocks in the way of the gospel, and this is one of the big ones. And so, Father, I pray that you will do the things you desire to do <clears throat> through your word. Forgive the ineptitude of the speaker and help your word to be magnified. So, Father, we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake, we're so grateful. And all God's people said.